I'm John. I'm Jamie. I'm Charlie. You're listening to The Jazz Session with Jason Green. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is sponsored by Matt Rock and Murat Verdi. This is episode 402 for September 6th, 2012. Today we'll talk with Tina Tatum from the Newsroom in Auburn, Alabama. Thank you to the Respect Sextet for the theme music to this show. They're online at respectsextet.com. Please go there and buy their records. Thank you to Dave Rabel, who designed the show's logo, and also to Rob Grundle, who designed the Jazz or Bust logo. As I'm recording this, I am in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, my first time out of the U.S. in, I think, six years, which was also to Canada. I went to Toronto when I worked for a labor union and did some campaign work there. Uh, I actually just got a new passport. Uh, last year, I got invited to go to a festival overseas, and the festival was going to fly me there and put me up and everything, and I tried to renew my passport, and I got my birth certificate from Massachusetts, and it had the wrong birth date on it, and I missed you know, the window. I didn't have enough time left to get that fixed. But this year, I finally got around to getting a new passport. And so I crossed over from the Detroit Jazz Festival into Windsor, Ontario, and then took an 11-hour bus ride from there to Ottawa via Toronto briefly. And I'm here in Ottawa till September 9th when I go to Montreal for a couple of days and then back to New York City on the 11th. Uh, my friends Renee Oxen and Craig Peterson, both of whom have been on the jazz session, are hosting me here. And a person I've never met before is hosting me in Montreal. And then a member of the show uh, is hosting me when I get to New York because I still don't have any place to live and I can't afford to live anywhere. And then I'm not sure what's going to happen after that. I'm not sure how long that's going to last, the thing in New York, and I'm not really sure what I'm going to do anyway. Uh, I've, I've been asking over and over on every show for you to join the show at thejazzsession.com slash join. And many, many people visit that page and many, many people click the link whenever I post it on Twitter, but no one joins. I think last year I did the 100 by 300 campaign, which ended in the middle of August of 2011. And I had 100 members on that day. And now it is a year and a month later. And I think I have about 103 or 104 members uh, you know, despite asking on every single show. So I think what's probably gearing up to happen is one massive fundraiser, you know, some Kickstarter type thing where I try to raise a big chunk of money to keep myself alive or I throw in the towel. Because to be honest, the the novelty of continuing to do this for nothing or next to nothing is kind of wearing off. And the need for me to not constantly live like in abject terror of where I'm going to be next and how I'm going to eat and all that stuff is kind of catching up to me. So uh, I think I need to be free to no longer worry about the jazz session if I can't make it sustain my life. I just need to be free to go anywhere in the U.S., no matter where it is, to take any job I can find, even if there are no jazz musicians there, which is true almost every place in the U.S., uh, and so I think what I'm, but what I really would love to do is actually make the show work. And so toward that end, I think I'm going to try to bust out, like I said, one huge fundraiser and then uh, see what happens. It either works or it doesn't. Uh, 
it, it, funnily enough, this is the second time I've recorded the intro to this episode because the first one was so depressed sounding that I thought there's no way I could possibly use that. I sound like I'm going to weep. Uh, this one is just as bad. So I'm not going to do it a third time. It's just it's how things are at the moment. Uh, I'll sound a lot happier in the interview because it was recorded months ago. What else do I need to tell you? Oh, uh, so you can go to thejazzsession.com slash join to become a member. You can follow the show on – or follow me more accurately on Twitter at Jason D. Crane. Tour diaries for my travels, including a recap of the Detroit Jazz Festival, are at jasoncrane.org. And there's a mailing list for the show, which you can subscribe to by going to thejazzsession.com and clicking on mailing list up at the top. On the first part of the Jazz or Bus tour, which I guess really this – I don't know if this is the second part or not because it's ending – in a, several days uh but you know it's the international leg of it but on the first official part of the jazz or bust tour one of my favorite stops was auburn alabama which i did not expect uh it's a town most people know because of football i didn't know anything about it at all in fact i didn't even know it because of football when i got there uh, although i did eventually realize that i had heard of a football program called auburn before but the only reason i went there was because i knew somebody who lived there a guy named patrick mccurry and when I say new, I mean we had corresponded on Twitter a few times, and his kids, who are very young, like my show. That's my demographic, apparently. The 10 and under set is who I'm going for in the jazz session. And so when I said I was going out on the road, he said, why don't you come here? And I said, why the heck not? And it turned out to be probably the best two days of the tour, just in terms of the, the emotional content. I mean, I felt like I really made connections with people. Uh, and I felt really welcome there. Like it was a place I, I belonged and people were kind of appreciating what I did, which makes a big difference. I did a poetry reading there that was very successful. And the next night, uh, kind of a live interview, uh, that was recorded by a broadcaster, um, for a, a Southeast regional public radio project. It was all great. I, I just loved the heck out of it. And, uh, if you go to jasoncrane.org and search for Auburn, you can find out more about the place and about what I did there. But there were uh, – I guess there were a bunch of people I met there that I really liked, but three in particular that I – or four in particular, I should say, I really hit it off with. Uh, Patrick McCurry, my host, and his family. I have to include them. So the McCurries, one entity. Uh, the Today's guest, also a woman named Maddie who works at the same place as today's guest, uh, although I should say after the fact that Maddie's actually kind of dubious on this list. You know why. Uh, and also a woman named Rachel who housed me while I was there. It's just one of those great spirits that you meet sometime. Uh, but today's guest is Tina Tatum, who runs the place where I did both of my events, a place called The Newsroom, G-N-U apostrophe S room. I think arguably this show has nothing at all to do with jazz. I don't think there's even – there's not even an attempt in anywhere in this interview, I don't think, to link it to the world of jazz. I didn't – oh, there was jazz played there on my – second evening because Patrick uh, amazingly set three of my poems to music and they, he, he and a band played them and someone sang them. Uh, so there was you know, the most tangential of jazz relations to what I did there. I just want you to know about this place. It's the kind of place that exists in an unlikely town. It is uh, held together by love and a commitment to the community. My guess is that there are places like this all over the U.S., and I was lucky enough to stumble into one of them. And I just want you to know about it. And if you've got a few extra bucks uh, and you want to send it the way of the newsroom, I'm sure they'd be happy to have it. Uh, it's a great organization, a great place, really building community in a very real way. And uh, if you're listening to this and you're in Auburn, 
please go there, you know, shop there, hang out there, go to events, and just support the newsroom because every town needs a place like the newsroom. Uh, and I'm, I'm really glad I got to be a part of uh, a little tiny piece of what they do there. So let's listen to my conversation with Tina Tatum from the newsroom in Auburn, Alabama. My guest is Tina Tatum, who's the owner of the newsroom, which is GNU apostrophe S here in Auburn, Alabama. And uh, I, I'm so impressed with this place, and I'm so grateful for you having me for two nights. Uh, thank you very much, and thanks for being here on the show. Oh, thank you for coming. We had a blast. Can you describe this space that we're in? Just talk about the newsroom, what's what's inside this building? and Sure. Uh, let me give you a little bit of the history. Um, the building was built in 1950. It was the only building on this block, which now has, I think, seven shops. But um, it was just a big, uh, wide-open building, has really high ceilings, and uh, it, was a, it was called Southside Grocery. So uh, it's had a number of uh, reincarnations over that period uh, since the 50s. But um, Bill Sherling, who was the former owner of the newsroom, took it over about 20 years ago, and uh, initially it was not a bookstore. It was a copy center with facts, you know, facts and copy kind of stuff. Um, he didn't like all the deadlines. He didn't like the pressures, and so he had always been a book person, and he started, he said, every time one of the uh, copy machines would, the lease would end, I would let it go back, and I would bring in bookshelves. <laughs> so <laughs> little by little, it became a bookstore, and uh, and and so... You know, people are surprised sometimes when they walk in because even though it's been 2007, some people just pass by and assume it's the same way it's always been. And they walk in and they're like, where are the copy machines? Right. What, what, you know, what's going on here? So and that's kind of fun. Um, but the building is, um, it has these great creaky wooden floors and uh, these nice high ceilings. And um, it just has a really... Uh, funky artsy kind of feel and now the all the other shops on the block are kind of similar we've got this great restaurant next door that um is very popular and brings lots of foot traffic over here called amsterdam cafe we've got um perch bead studio next door to us which when i first came to work for the newsroom it was a um, cpa office and uh and it it had something else in it and then uh barbara moved there and created this great little bead studio where people come and create and um you know, there's a tattoo shop at the end with these really awesome artists, and we've uh, looked at some of their art and, and talked to them about coming in and doing a showing here, actually. Um, you know, and, and, and so the whole block has kind of this, I guess, slightly bohemian feel, and the surrounding neighborhood um, kind of lends itself to that kind of old-ish charm. Um, so we just... Um, enjoy the looks on people's faces when they come in and then they walk around and say this is so much bigger than i thought it was going to be <laughs> <laughs> and will you tell me something about the community of auburn where you're located we are in very much a college town um a southern college town which means football is king um the population i would say probably w with the students is somewhere around maybe 40 to 50,000 um, and then when they go home for the summer, <laughs> everybody suffers because <laughs> there's nobody in town. But, um, you know, it's a, it's a pretty conservative, uh, traditional, you know, small southern town. Uh, but it, um, it's changing. You know, people like myself who are artsy leaning, um, sometimes wonder if much change can happen in Auburn. But, um, 
it, you know, it, other people are feeling it too. It's not just me and it's not just the newsroom. Um, the, you know, times are changing. New people come in with new ideas. And, uh, so I think before too much longer, this won't be thought of so much as just a sleepy little conservative town. You know, there'll be a lot of, of happening things going on. I'd like to start really to put this place in context by having you talk about how it continues to exist at all, because the story of how the, the community really uh, voted if, effectively for this place to be here is is very inspiring to me. Well, uh, the newsroom has actually been here about 20 years, and my partner and I took it over uh, in 2007, fall of 2007, and uh, we put in the coffee bar, um, added Wi-Fi, added tables and chairs, uh, basically just wanted to keep the kind of funky, eclectic feel of the newsroom alive, but upgrade it, give a, give everybody a few perks. And so um, it was kind of an opportunity where we knew we, we didn't have enough money, really, to get it started, but it's like, okay, well, this has been my dream for so many years. Do you go in undercapitalized and just give it a shot and live your dream, or do you say, no, I'm going to have to pass this opportunity because I just don't have the money? So I, I decided on the, the former. And um, after about a year and a half of business, it was apparent that we just weren't making enough to meet all of our overhead. So um, we had a couple of other shareholders at the time, and we said, okay, let's uh, let's figure out what we need to do. And we kind of talked it over and voted and said, okay, we're just not going to be able to make it. So we had decided on February 28th of uh, 2009 that we were going to have to close the store. So this happened to be the beginning of February, <clears throat> and as um, my regulars were coming in, I was telling them, you know, really hate to tell you this, but sadly we're going to have to close. And so word got around, and uh, I was approached by three uh, young women who were uh, grad students in the biology department here at Auburn University, which is located like a block away from here. <laughs> and uh, and we, we had become kind of an integral part of their lives, and so... They had been talking it over uh, with within their group of, of friends, and and so they uh, asked me if I would consider letting them uh, put on a fundraiser for us. And my first reaction was, well, I'm not going to say no, but we're just a retail bookstore and coffee shop. I just don't see how people are going to want to contribute something when uh, we're not a nonprofit organization. And so they said, well, even if you don't raise enough money to keep it, keep the newsroom open, we at least want to raise what we can to help you catch up on some of your bills before you close. So I said, okay, fair enough. So with just a little bit of guidance for me on a few ideas they had, uh, they pretty much did the whole deal. They organized a bake sale. They organized... Um, a uh, silent art auction where they had local artists who would commit to uh, donate a piece of their work so that it could be auctioned off, proceeds all going to the newsroom. Um, they got local musicians to agree to come and play, and people just put donations in the jar, and that came to the newsroom. I mean, we had tip jars all over the store that people were just putting money into. And uh, I told people towards the end of the day, I felt like George Bailey from the movie, uh, It's a Wonderful Life. It's like, you know, every time somebody puts a dollar in there, you know, it's like, wow. 
I'm the luckiest man, I'm the luckiest <laughs> woman alive. Anyway. Um, you told and, me yesterday about uh, a, a young child who came in, right? Oh, With, uh, my gosh, yeah. The, t- the two probably most touching stories that came out of the whole thing was uh, a young boy. at the, He was probably 10 or 11 years old. And he came in, and he had this big smile on his face. And I happened to be at the cash register at that time. And he came up, and he bought a book. And then he took a, a handful of coins and dollars and put it in the donation jar and just had this big grin so his mother caught me aside a few minutes later and she said i had to stop him from emptying his piggy bank totally he uh he said but mom i want to save the newsroom so that was awesome and then on the opposite end of the spectrum i had an elderly couple who called me uh, the day of the event and said uh, you know, we don't get out much and we're on limited income and, and, but we, uh, my husband and I have talked and we've decided we want to pledge $10 a month to keep the newsroom. And I said, well, you know, thanks so much, but you know, we're not a nonprofit. I can't give you a tax receipt. She said, oh, we don't care about that. We just think that you need to stay there. So when all was said and done at the end of the day, we had raised, um, over $10,000. I don't remember the exact figure, but it was enough to catch up our loan payments and uh, past due bills and give us a little bit of a cushion to move forward. Did you have any idea before this fundraiser happened of the the rootedness or the, the kind of impact in the community that the newsroom was having? I knew that there was a good bit of goodwill from the previous owner. I had worked for the previous owner for about three years, and uh, he had pretty much looked at the business as just something to do. It was more a hobby because he liked books and he liked talking to people about books. And so the store had irregular hours, and, and uh, if something came up and he couldn't be here. It would just be closed when it said it would be open and that kind of thing. But Did he have another job or was he retiring? No, he was getting close to retirement. Okay. Uh, and once his wife retired, that's actually how I have the newsroom now is that uh, he made the, the decision to retire with her. And, and so I was able to take the store. But, um, you know, there were people who liked him and I think um, still associated to some extent the newsroom with him. But it was more about, in, in the students' own words, it was more about what the newsroom meant to them and they in fact coined the slogan that we now use for our our business and it was coffee books and community they said the newsroom is so much more than just a good cup of coffee or or a good book to read it's a place where we really have a sense of community and it needs to be here well let's go from there and talk about uh the newsroom i want to talk about it kind of from two points of view one as a place where people come and then also what you're looking towards in the future as a place from which people will originate and go into other communities. But can you talk about the kinds of events uh, that happen here at the newsroom? Well, our mission uh, has been uh, to be a promoter of the arts, no matter what genre of arts it is, whether it's visual arts, performing arts, uh, literary arts. So we host hundreds of events every year, uh, poetry readings, um film screenings, and that was kind of a unique thing uh, that, that we got into that. And um, we have open mic nights. We have science cafes where we bring in speakers in, in the um, maths and sciences to engage the community on what they're working on. Um, 
I know I'm forgetting some things. We've just started up a farmer's market that uh, is going twice a month during the summer, and we hope to make it weekly. We basically block off the parking in front of the store, and vendors come with their organic, fresh produce and baked goods and plants and what whatnot, and um, it's just got a great community feel. Usually there's a couple of folks with guitars or banjos or something out there just kind of hanging out and playing, having a good time. It sounds in a lot of ways like the the newsroom is kind of all, all things artistic. I mean, it sounds like a real epicenter for what's happening in this community uh, in terms agree. of the arts. Mm-hmm. Sure, yeah. Uh, and is that something, is that a, a kind of an innovation since your time in the, here at the newsroom? Absolutely. Um, and the previous owner just, he thought opening the bookstore and having a great used bookstore in Auburn was kind of a public service in and in 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 of itself, and I agree that it was. It was a great foundation to build on, but I could never convince him of the need to have community events to bring people into the store and to put a spotlight on what some of the many talented local people were doing. I finally twisted his arm, and he would let me have one event a month, and uh, I would bring in uh, artists or uh, poets or, or uh, writers, fiction, nonfiction writers, and let them talk about their craft and answer questions. And it was, you know, a nice, intimate atmosphere to, to learn about these things. And so once my partner and I actually took over the store, it's like it kind of just grew from there. And then people started to become aware of it. It's like, wow, I think I'll ask Tina if we can have this event. And so... I don't think I've ever turned anybody down. In my opinion, um, everybody deserves a chance. And, you know, somebody may come and play music here. They may not be the best person you've ever heard play music, but it gives them a venue. And um, I've seen some pretty amazing blossoming of talent uh, here that would not have happened had they not had a place to play in public. And I imagine not to bring it down to uh, the finances, but I imagine from a purely practical point of view that filling the store with people to come for events must translate into good things for the books and good things for the coffee and or sure, that kind absolutely. of thing. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it helps us in that it brings traffic into the store, and usually once people come in, they really like the atmosphere, they feel welcome, um, and that sometimes, not always, translates into coffee and book sales. Sure. But it, if nothing else, it creates this great sense of of goodwill towards what we're doing. Did you have some model, something from some other place you lived or something from your own life that was kind of fueling your ideas about what the newsroom could be? Had you seen something else and you thought, I can do that here too? Maybe kind of a conglomeration of of different uh, jobs and places I've been. Nothing exactly like this. Probably more so uh, people have compared the newsroom and what we're doing to like a uh, something that happened in France or or or, or somewhere overseas that, um, you know, back when all the expatriates were, uh, was it France, I believe, is where they had settled in Steinbeck and, and, and Hemingway and Fitzgeralds and those people. And so it uh, they started to kind of get together and it created this huge... Uh, almost like a brainstorming creative session when they would get together and they inspired each other. And so that was kind of my goal was how can I introduce the arts to people to inspire them to do something. And it just kind of, I've I've met the right people along the way that had similar interests and they've been able to help me out. 
because, of course, we can't pay. So it's been all a volunteer effort. Now, going forward, uh, you had mentioned to me some plans you have to be able to bring some of these cultural offerings to people who may not get to the newsroom. Can you talk more about that? Sure. Um, as part of our, our willingness to uh, step out a little bit, even without money <laughs> in hand, <laughs> uh, that's nothing new to us. We um, we decided it was important. We wanted to invest in, in our community further than what we were already doing, just in terms of events and providing venues for meetings and things. So we actually have set up a nonprofit that has just become a recognized organization by the IRS. To, uh, it's a 501c3, um, to start up some uh, literacy slash tutoring slash arts and music education programs that would kind of be uh, on the road, if you will. So we would recruit volunteers. We would ask for donations, and certainly we'll be applying for applicable grants um, to fund it. And we will travel to various destinations um, around Auburn. We are in um, a sort of a suburban area, but with lots of little rural areas around us that are within, say, 40 to 45-minute driving time. And we want to actually take this to the communities. You know, if you think about it, a lot of times Auburn has some wonderful free programs that people could, can take advantage of, uh, tutoring for their children or literacy training. But if you don't have transportation... You can't take advantage of those free programs, so it really does them no good. So our idea is to partner with um, either businesses or community centers or uh, even churches that might be willing to let us have their space for free um, on a given day, and we would have a rotating schedule. We would travel with these volunteers, and we would set up in whatever space we can find and just be there. And whether it's adults or children that want to take advantage of the programs, we want to have musicians who are volunteering to uh, to teach uh, instrument lessons, um, how to read music, that kind of thing. We want to have artists who are going to go in and help teach people how to draw and, and uh, paint. And uh, certainly we'll have tutors for maths and sciences and English and whatever is needed and um, and we're going to partner with some folks who are already doing these kind of things in like literacy training. So um, I think it'll be a really, it may take a while to grow, but I think it'll be a really good program that um, the idea is when we drive in with the big newsroom logo on the side of this bus or or travel trailer or whatever it is we find that it's kind of like the ice cream man coming to town, you know, <laughs> coming to your, your block. And uh, and uh, we, we hope that people will be as enthused about it as they will that ice cream. So it's, it's exciting. You know, that makes me generally happy, but there's a little bit of it that makes me sad that a, a bookstore has to decide to be the entity that provides that. I mean, I, I would love to live in a world where, for example, my tax dollars were causing people to go out into my local communities and bring the arts and bring cultural education. I mean, so it's incredible that you're stepping in to fill this void, but it's a little bit sad that there's a void there right. to be filled. I, think. I agree. Yeah. I wonder, just from, I mean, it sounds like you've, you've gone from, well, I, th- I think I'll run a bookstore to, I think I'll run a bookstore and a coffee shop to, I think I'll run a bookstore and a coffee shop and a nonprofit to, I think I'll run a bookstore and a coffee shop and a nonprofit and an outreach service that travels in a 45 minute radius. How are you actually able to, when you don't have 15 people on staff, how are you able to actually make all of this happen? It seems like quite a Herculean task. 
I feel very strongly uh, just from talking to people about the idea of what we want to do that um, it, the program will grow with volunteers. Uh, I really believe it. There are a lot of people who want to help. And I think the thing um, that most people kind of stumble over is they're willing to help, but they don't know how to start. So if we can have a program in place, then people will be able to plug in and do something. But I think all the goodwill and good intentions in the world, if you don't know how to get started, um, you wind up spinning your wheels and not helping anyone. So, uh, you know, I have some, some great friends that I've met through the newsroom, and certainly we have the university as a great resource. Um, fortunately, Auburn University, as part of the... Uh, I guess curriculum it offers for students to plug into the community. And so, um, you know, it, it's, it's an opportunity for them to help while they're here. And more and more I'm seeing students who aren't just this, this is just a temporary home and then they can't wait to get back out to wherever they're going to live and have a career, but they actually are spending time investing themselves in this local community while they're here. And that's something that you really didn't see that much uh, a few years ago. One thing I've been doing on this tour, uh, primarily with the jazz musicians I've been talking to, is exploring this idea of rather than going someplace where there's already a scene, staying where you are and making your own, which it feels very much like that's what you're doing. I mean, you, you could go to, you know, you guys could move to San Francisco and mm -hmm. live in a place where there's some place like this. Right. and. Uh, you wouldn't have to build it all from scratch, but instead you and your partner have chosen to, to stay here and to create the community that you want to be a part of. Why, why did you make that choice? Was it at some point a choice where you thought, should we stay or should we go? And if so, how did you decide to stay? I think my, my whole life I have thought of being somewhere else where the action was, if, if, if you will excuse that expression. But um, I've never really been much of a risk taker. In fact, it wasn't until, I mean, I was 49 years old when I got the newsroom, you know, and, uh, it, and it was really a friend of mine who, um, I tell her that she's the impetus behind me deciding to take this risk because she gave me a magnet for Christmas, a refrigerator magnet that said, it's never too late to be who you could have been. And, uh, like, you know, it's time to do something. And of course, you and others will learn if you haven't reached that age. By the time you get to be 50, you just have a different perspective. You feel freer. There's less time ahead of you than there is behind you, and, and you really feel a little bit of a push to do something important, something that, that you feel satisfied with yourself for having done. And uh, so I don't know. I um, I think I enjoy visiting larger cities. I've, I've mostly lived in Alabama. I did live in Pennsylvania for um, about a year and uh, went into Philly a few times, and and I enjoy the big city life and all the things that it offers. But there's something to be said for smaller towns, and I think that, I, I mean, exactly what you said. You look around you, and here's where you are, and you know, you know, you, you start to find other people who are kind of like you or, or have similar th thinking, and so then you kind of talk together and you're like, well, this doesn't exist here. How can we make this happen? And so before long, you have this little support group of people who are like, that would be really cool. What if we could do this? How, what if we could, you know? And so 
that's been kind of fun to create something that doesn't exist and um, people seem to respond. My guest is Tina Tatum, the owner of the newsroom. Uh, it's, as I said, it's really an inspiring place and I, I feel so honored to have been here uh, for two nights and, and I definitely will be coming back through Auburn and, and hope to see you again. Thanks for being on the show. Well, I hope you keep that promise and thank you for having me. Thank you. My thanks to Tina Tatum and the entire crew at the newsroom and uh, to Patrick and his family and uh, to Kyle from the radio, uh, everybody who just made my time there and Rachel made my time there so amazing and I certainly hope to get back. In fact, I did on my way back from New Orleans. I stopped in Auburn on the way back too so I could hang out there again um, just for a night, but I was so – so besotted is that a that's a positive thing right to be besotted that means to be kind of enamored or something like drunk with passion is that right i don't know i think it means something like that so if besotted is a good word i was besotted with auburn if it it has a negative meaning i wasn't i was unbesotted with auburn oh god i sound like i'm drunk right now don't i i don't even drink this is just how i sound when i haven't slept in my own bed in three and a half months so would you please become a member of the Jazz Session at thejazzsession.com slash join. I, I need some more people at the highest levels, the name sponsors. Uh, if kicking in $500 sounds like something you could reasonably do, it, it literally it changes my life if $500 appears in my bank account right now. Uh, so it's that's ridiculous, but that's how it is. Please, if you can find your way to doing something like that, that would be awesome. But even the 10 buck a month membership, 10 bucks a month membership, Ten buckets, a new currency that we were developing in the United States. I'm up here in Canada, so I feel like I can safely divulge that secret now uh, since I'm across the border. You know, since I'm just rambling here drunkenly, I got questioned a lot when I came across the border, like for several minutes. I mean, I have a shaved head and a backpack and, you know, maybe I looked a little strange, but uh, I got asked a lot of questions. I mean, luckily I had – I couldn't afford to buy all of my tickets – all the way back to New York, but I had purchased at least a couple of the tickets across Canada so I could prove that I was going somewhere. And when the guy asked me how I was going home and I told him and I said, well, at least I have this one ticket to kind of show you that I'm not lying. And thank God I had Renee's address in my phone, which it's very rare that I have anyone's street address in my phone because I never send out anything in the mail. Uh, so just by freakish chance, because I had sent her a postcard from the tour, I had her address in my phone, and I could show the guy where I was staying. I, you know, I, I'm the least, <laughs> the least prepared for a person who's actually lived overseas for several years. Uh, it, it was as if, uh, you know, I was just winging it completely. I had, I had given no thought whatsoever to what would happen when I got off the bus in Canada, but I made it. Everything was fine. I took a nice long trip across the country and. All was well. And today I walked eight miles through Ottawa uh, from way out west where, according to Renee and Craig, they live downtown, effectively. So I can only imagine how spread out this town is because it's like a three-and-a-half-mile walk into what I think a reasonable person would consider where the downtown is. Um, you know, the seat of government and all the big buildings and all that stuff. And so I walked all the way in there, mostly to find a bookstore that had any poetry in it. I walked to a couple other bookstores first, and they had their poetry section was, you know, like four books or something, which is what you normally find. Uh, and I cannot afford a book of poetry right now, but I just desperately needed to have a book of poetry to read. I didn't have any with me, and I, I was just jonesing for some. I actually bought a book of poetry I already own. <laughs> I bought a copy of Philip Larkin's Collected Poems. I already have at least one copy of Philip Larkin's collected poems in my storage area in Brooklyn. But some days you just 
you need to read Philip Larkin. And today I just desperately needed Philip Larkin to, to have with me as on the rest of this trip. So uh, do you care about any of this? I can't imagine you would. I really can't. So if you're still here, anyway, thank you for listening. And now, please, get out there. This is like 11 and a half minutes of intro and outro. This is usually three or four. Oh, man. I need a drug habit or something. So get out there, please, and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can. I'm not making light of people with drug habits. So before you send me angry letters. And then come back next time for another – I can't even remember how this goes – for another conversation about jazz – on the jazz session. Good Lord.